This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. This is Five Live Formula One with Jenny Gow. Hello and welcome to Five Live Formula One. I would say alongside me, but remotely alongside me, I have uh, Jack Nichols and Jolien Palmer, our commentary duo. Also, Andrew Benson, the BBC's chief F1 writer and our producer as well. He's in a little box in the corner, Patrick, um, because we are doing this remotely um, because, as we all know, the world isn't quite how it was uh, a couple of weeks ago and we're all kind of trying to get to terms with how we do our jobs and how we continue so I'm sure you can all empathize and and you're in the same boat some of you uh, so um let's start off with Andrew because you haven't even stopped this week you've been continually speaking to the teams you've been writing updates you've been self-isolating as well which I think your family have been delighted about haven't they that's right, Jenny. Yes, as far away as possible, I think, from their point of view. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. Uh, as everyone knows, the Australian Grand Prix was called off on uh, the Friday uh, while we were all in Melbourne. Uh, while we were flying back on Friday night into Saturday, the Bahrain and Vietnamese Grand Prix were then called off. Since then, uh, the summer break has been cancelled. Uh, the Dutch, Spanish and Monaco Grand Prix have been uh, called off as well. Monaco permanently, that's the only race called off permanently so far because there was no uh, way of fitting it back into the year, the Monaco authorities said. And then since then, uh, Formula One has delayed the introduction of a major rules package for 2021 until 2022. And the teams have agreed to waive their right of consultation on the calendar so that Formula One can uh, fit as many Grand Prix into this season as possible and they have to get eight in uh, to make a world championship and then just finally it's emerged in the last couple of days that the Formula One teams are working with government to try to increase the supply of uh, ventilators in this country to deal with obviously the crisis in intensive care units in hospitals around uh, the UK. Jack, if, if we bring it down to what F1 needs this year in order to make it a championship, let's say in order for Lewis Hamilton to even try to get this, you know, um, seven world titles, what needs to happen race-wise? Well, the, uh, I'm st- the regulations say that you have to have eight uh, races or eight events to make a world championship. But even that regulation, you know, that's that's written for normal times. Even things like that, I think, could well be under review. You know, if we only got seven away, would the FIA say, oh, no, you know, you're not a champion? You know, I think everything at the moment is in uncharted territory. So even that aim of eight, I think, is 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 fairly an irrelevance, to be honest with you, because these all these regulations are meant for normal times and I don't think we're in those normal times at all so officially you have to have eight to compete in a world championship but but I don't know if that would you know stand yeah obviously the issue is when can the season start uh, earlier in the week uh, the teams were talking together and thinking of a schedule that maybe the year could start with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix which is on the 7th of June at least according to the original calendar you have to say, of course, no one knows, but the way the virus is developing, you look at the various graphs that you can see being published by newspapers around the world, the contagiousness of, of, of the coronavirus, that has to be considered to be pretty unlikely, I would say. 
And so then it becomes a question of when can it start? Is it going to be July? Is it going to be August? Is it going to be Singapore in September? And then which races can fit in around that? Because obviously the European winter starts to close in um, and, and so on and so forth. And of course, what countries are going to be in what state with the virus? At what point in the year? Is international travel going to be possible at any point? When is that point? These are all the imponderables that everyone's dealing with at the moment. I think for me, it's almost the situation is, you know, calendar is irrelevant. You almost keep going until you get the first race and then go from there rather than, you know, let's have a, you know, rearranging races for alternate dates when you don't even know when the first race is. It feels like once you can get one race away, then there'll be a, um, you know, an escalation from there. Really. But where the first race is, is, is obviously dependent on where Corona is and where it isn't as well. To an yeah, extent, yeah. are we going to completely eradicate Corona from the world? I don't know. I'm not a health expert, but it seems like it's going to be a huge long term issue. But seven teams being based in the UK, if the UK could be ahead of the game and, you know, we, we may have a chance to get a British Grand Prix in in July or August, for example, which would rejig the calendar, even if in August it's not possible to get what do we normally have, the uh, Belgium at the end of August. So I, I think that almost you have to rip up the calendar entirely and just see yeah. when we can race where, if we ever can this year. I suppose the sensible thing would be to say Silverstone would be a good place for a first race because so many of the teams are based in the UK, but that is no way by means, you know, going to happen. The teams can race, then it means the teams can leave the UK, which means the UK presumably is ahead of the game in coronavirus terms. Therefore, Silverstone, if, if any race can happen, then Silverstone can happen. You can't have the UK not able to hold a race, but let seven of the teams go somewhere else to have the race. So Silverstone, to me, seems like an obvious first opportunity to hold a race, just because you've got seven out of ten teams racing. Whether then Italians can come to Silverstone to compete, even if it's behind closed doors or whatever other measures we can do, that's another question. But Silverstone, to me, seems the obvious potential chance for the Grand Prix. And even if not in its July slot, if it then could be August or September. Uh, one of the other agreements that's been reached uh, in the last week is about the shutdown, the summer break, which, <laughs> Andrew, is not really a summer break at all. No, it's a practicality thing that they it normally takes place over three weeks in uh, August, in which time the teams can shut down for two. Um, they've moved that break forward to now, basically, until the end of April. Um, and the teams, each team can choose three weeks within that time period to shut themselves down. The point is, obviously, they're doing everything that they can to make sure that the end of the year is as free as possible to fit in as many races as they possibly can. Because this isn't just a question of sport, it's also a question of money. Um, you know, the, t the income for Formula One, which is normally about $1.8 billion, which is £1.5 billion at today's exchange rates, comes primarily from race hosting fees and broadcast rights. Those incomes are obviously going to reduce and that means that the money that gets paid to the teams reduces which for the poorer teams is a potentially existential issue so does formula one have to help with that there's all sorts of questions surrounding this uh, which go beyond which race happens which race doesn't when does the season start and so on it's a potentially seismic issue which formula one has to deal with and we've got no idea how that's going to happen is, is there a potential andrew of because i know a lot of um 
smaller championships, you know, in in the UK and internationally are, are concerned that, you know, the doomsday scenario is they they run out of money and and go extinct. You know, I know that's something that Formula E, for example, are concerned about. I'm sure a lot of national motorsport things are. Is uh, is Formula One immune from that or is that a bit too much of a stretch? Nothing's immune at the moment, is it? That's the problem with this current situation. Nobody knows which companies, which organisations are going to be affected and, and in what way. You know, Formula One, in theory, should have lots of money. But on the other hand, it is leveraged with large amounts of debt. So what impact is this season or this not season or however, however the year develops going to impact on that? No one can answer that question at the moment. These are only things that are going to emerge over, the, over a period of time. So we know one race is definitely gone, and that's Monaco. It'll be the first time since 1954, I think it is, that Monaco won't appear on the F1 schedule. Um, why has that decision been made? Why is it not postponed like the others? Uh, it's just a practicality thing, I think, with, with Monaco. It's the, um, you know, they can't find another time in the year to schedule it in and, and almost don't want to find another time in the Because that announcement came from Monaco themselves. That wasn't Formula One announced it was postponed. But it was Monaco themselves that said, actually, no, it's it's cancelled. If it's not happening this weekend, it, it won't happen until next year. It's also, it's not just about finding the right time in the year. It's about the logistics of actually making the race happen. It takes weeks, months to set up Monaco for the Grand Prix. And not only that, but a lot of the equipment for the Grand Prix comes from Italy and Spain, which, of course, are two of the most badly affected countries. So it's too difficult for them at this stage with all this uncertainty to be able to say, well, we can have a maybe have a race on this date or that date. They just have to knock it on the head, basically. And the, all these chats are coming at the same time as we hear that Prince Albert himself is diagnosed with coronavirus. So I don't really know the ins and outs of this, but the Prince Albert is very highly involved in the Grand Prix weekend and... Uh, it's a historic thing for Monaco, but I think they've been hit obviously very hard as well. And um, probably right now, their thoughts is not necessarily on F1, which is synonymous with Monaco, but it's about actually, like it is with everyone really, getting this getting this virus under control. So Ross Braun um, in F1 has said that he would like to get 18 or 19 races away this season. I mean, what are we realistically looking at? Let's say... Best case scenario, we can get racing away sometime this summer. I mean, it's an impossible, it's an impossible question, isn't it? I mean, um, what's, uh, I can't see, uh, personally, I can't see there being more than 15 races in the year if everything goes, you know, absolutely according to plan. But it's just impossible to know. It's what countries are affected, what countries can, you, you know, because... When you look at uh, the Chinese Grand Prix was cancelled way before any of the others and way before world sport was on sort of lockdown. So could it go the reverse way? And, you know, we're ready to go racing in China in August, but Monza isn't ready and for the rest of the year. There's just there's literally no way of knowing. So, I mean, you could go all the way up to December if you wanted. But I think the big thing with motorsport compared to because the thing is with the football season, it's got to be fair. Right. Everybody has got to play each other home and away. And that's the challenge they're facing now is, you know, is it fair to give Liverpool the title in the Premier League? Whereas motorsport, it sort of doesn't matter how many races you do or don't have. So that's why there's, I think, a little less urgency when it comes to motorsport in general, because you've got just more flexibility because everybody will do the same amount of races, whatever happens. You've got more flexibility, but they're still desperate to have all the races they can have. And that's 
why we were in Australia in the first place, remember? So yeah. uh, they, I don't think they take that for granted, the fact that they don't need to have all 22 races. Um, what I've, I think the best case is that we can get racing in the summertime and then it will be about shoehorning in as many Grand Prix as possible with logistics taken into account, really, to get the maximum number possible up to December. In reality, for me, I feel like it, it's... it's you know, very plausible that we we don't race this year. And in the same way as there's no Grand National this year, there's no potentially no Premier League winner. I think in years to come, everyone's going to look back at the year 2020 and potentially just see what on earth happened because there's no result for many sports, not just Formula One. Hopefully we can get the, you know, the first um, solution of getting loads of races in at the end of the year and get a Grand Prix, a, a Grand Prix season. But it wouldn't surprise me with the way this is going that, that we don't. All Liverpool fans at home will be sitting there going, they'll always have been a winner. It will always have been us. Um, Abu Dhabi, does that still have to be the last race of the season contractually or are we literally ripping everything up and saying the rule book doesn't exist anymore? Well, Jenny, in theory, it has to be the last race. But as Jack's been saying, you know, who knows? You know, uh, there's all sort. everything is possible, I think, at this stage. And it's international travel that's the big issue. And that's where Formula One is affected more than the Grand National, the Premier League, other uh, other sports. Formula One is, is so international. And that's where I think the doomsday scenario comes in. When other countries, for example, China, maybe in the moment are looking, the forecast is good. What we don't know is at what point they're going to want every Formula One arriving on their doorstep again with the remnants of corona and hopefully not the remnants of corona floating around. There's so many unknowns. Which brings us nicely on to the subject of Australia. Um, we all boarded planes. We all went to Melbourne. We then boarded planes and came back from Melbourne. It was a very strange weekend. Um, and Thursday into Friday seemed to take weeks to actually happen to get a decision or the announcement from McLaren that they had te- one crew member tested positive. Um, then for Mercedes to release their statement early in the morning uh, saying that they were encouraging F1 to cancel the race and then subsequently a few minutes later the email from the FIA and F1 saying the race had been cancelled. But it just took a very long time and I think um, we were all relatively critical of what happened. Can we Do we stand by that with a little bit of hindsight and a few more air miles under our belt? Well, Jenny, let's first of all get into what actually happened. I'll be as brief as I can about this. There was there were two meetings overnight between the teams and F1. At the first tee, at the first meeting, the teams were tied five all on whether the race should go ahead or not. Now, I think you can question that. I think you can question the leadership in that meeting because I think it was pretty clear after McLaren had a team member test positive to most people that the race couldn't go ahead. Um, then they broke up from that meeting, so the default then was that the, the Friday would happen. Then Toto Wolff had a call with the boss of Mercedes. And after that call, Toto Wolff talked to the Mercedes team and it was clear at that point the Mercedes couldn't take part, wouldn't take part. They joined uh, the Ferrari, who were the sort of prime mover in saying the race, they wouldn't take part in the race and the race shouldn't happen. They joined that sort of Ferrari gang, if you like, at that point. And at that point, a race became impossible because there wouldn't be enough teams. That was like two, three o'clock in the morning whenever when we ran the story for the first time saying that the race was off. The problem then was that they had to go to the Victoria State authorities and get them 
to be properly and properly informed about uh, what the situation was and for them to make the decision. So I think it, as we discussed actually in the podcast last Friday, uh, it was just a question of all the boxes needing to be ticked in a row. Um, and I, but I think you can also question the communication at that point. Maybe something could have been put out a bit earlier. You know, fans turning up at the race, being first of all, you know, Australian media being briefed that everything was going ahead as planned. Fans turning up, and then being told they had to go away again. That didn't look great. Um, Three thousand personnel roughly travelled into Australia. Twenty-five tons of cargo per team. Um, it, I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight that it wasn't the the right thing to do, but bearing in mind formula one looks at safety a lot of the time it evaluates it takes into consideration a lot of different factors as it's one of its primary objectives should it have been more forward thinking and not even set foot on the planes to head to australia for me i think it was absolutely fine to go to australia the world i think it's the world we lived in when we left the uk was one of um it just wasn't that big a deal in the UK. I, you knew it was coming and you knew that it was bad in China and it was bad in Italy, but the Ferrari team were all out of Italy. Australia, there was not a huge amount of trouble. It was when we arrived and then within 48 hours, NBA, Premier League, it had been declared a pandemic. Someone was positive in the paddock. That's when it really became obvious that this wasn't a good thing. I, I still don't think you can you can, you can can say that anybody was really against going beforehand. There, there were mutterings, weren't there? But yeah, I, I think the, the the way that it changed that week was just it, it absolutely blew up in Europe, particularly that week, and in Australia as well. Um, I left for Australia slightly early, and um, so I was there in total for a week. But honestly, when I when I left and when I came back, the the world was different. Just in coming back to the UK, Italy was closing its borders as I as I flew to Australia, which was a worry for the Grand Prix. That seemed to be okay in the end because Ferrari could get out there. But then as soon as I got back, or we all got back, suddenly you hear France is shutting its borders, Spain's shutting its borders. If the Grand Prix was a week earlier, it would have gone ahead. If it was a week later, it would have been obvious to cancel it. But it just happened to be in a really tricky week where it looked like it was going to be okay. And then suddenly, in the matter of days, you're getting huge breaking news. And then it becomes obvious that it wasn't. The only bit that was maybe a bit slow was the FIA cancelling the race after uh, after the McLaren uh, mechanic tested positive to say that everybody uh, was happy to go or you know wasn't concerned isn't isn't quite true there were people with some concerns but i don't think you found many saying we absolutely should not be going you know there were there were you know is this the right thing is this the wrong thing discussions but there was not many people saying there's no way we should be here and fundamentally australia the, the australian government said yeah. We can host the race. And the World Health Organization said, we, you know, it's OK to hold the race. So Formula One and not above those two establishments that basically said, come into our country, have the race. We're fine to have it. And that's their decision. And it's not necessarily it was obviously the wrong one in the end, how it turned out. But Formula One can only be governed by people that potentially have more information than themselves. Uh, just on the McLaren um, members of uh, the crew who are still over in Australia, still in quarantine, uh, one test are positive, the rest were all cleared, but they do remain out there. Um, and McLaren will have to try and get them back at some point um, because they don't really want their team members to be stranded out there forever. But the good news is um, that they are, well, they're going a little stir crazy, but they are playing the toilet roll challenge. So all is well. Uh, any of you played the toilet roll challenge, by the way? 
I don't get it. What's the deal with the toilet roll challenge? Why is there queues and huge deals about everyone getting toilet rolls in their house? And then you get it and play kicky uppies with it? Keepy well, I think you can still reuse it, Jolian. I don't think you it know, seems a risk. A it seems roll. a risk when toilet roll is like the most precious currency we have in the country, and then you start booting it around the living room. Seems odd. Yeah, exactly. You don't want it going like over the fence to next door, do you? Because then you're then you're in big trouble. <laughs> If you really like your neighbours, you might. Regulations! Uh, Let's talk about those because, as we said right at the top of the programme, Formula One has agreed to delay the planned 2021 rules uh, and they will now come in in 2022. Um, Andrew Benson, can you explain, I mean, why, basically? Again, it's money. It's it's to save the team's money. uh, So cash is king, as Lewis Hamilton said in Australia. Yeah, and actually, interestingly, on that cash is king comment, this wasn't clear at the time, but the first person to say that in that news conference was actually Sebastian Vettel. But his mic didn't pick it up, and Lewis repeated it. So anyway, there you go. Uh, Is it definitely just money? Because presumably Uh, there's there's sort of other reasons in terms of if we're in a, a sort of total lockdown, as Italy are, how easy is it then to for them to actually fairly try and design a completely new generation of car against other teams that can do that? Yeah, it's mainly money. Okay, there are other considerations as well. That's absolutely right. If we do, teams don't know how they're going to work effectively over the next few months. Um, so what's happening is that the they can race. They have to race next year under the current rules, uh, and they have to use the chassis, which is the sort of monocoque survival cell that the driver sits in. Uh, for next year as well but and they're still trying to work out um, development what what areas of the car will be allowed to develop and what areas won't and the cost cap cost cap comes in uh, which is currently set at 175 million dollars a year uh, with some exceptions including uh, driver salaries salaries of uh, top executives but there are negotiations going on as to whether that number should come down a lot of people said they were feeling uneasy about the regulations coming into place and the cost cap and the way that those were, were being kind of put into place in Formula One. Does this actually level it out so the cost cap comes into place so actually development on the now 2022 car will be under that cost cap, which a lot of people had a problem with? It's ironic, isn't it, that the big teams were saying uh, a few months ago, look, let's delay them until 2022 regulations because otherwise we're all going to develop our cars with you know, as much money as we've currently got, that's going to give us an advantage. But the FIA and F1 didn't buy that at the time, but now that's what's happened in the end. So, yeah, it is, it's, in some ways it might work out for the best. Uh, thank you for everybody who's been getting in touch. Uh, hashtag BBCF1. Obviously, this is a pre-recorded programme, but we still like to uh, hear all your messages. Uh, Guy J says, with the regs staying the same for next year now, what's going to happen to McLaren? Because they're meant to be changing their engines next year. Andrew Benson. I don't have an answer to that at the moment. The week's been so busy, I've not had a chance to ask uh, that question. But there's no reason uh, on the face of it why they can't switch engines. The engines all have the same uh, mounting points onto the chassis. There would be a um, question of you know, changing the car to fit, um, into, for, to fit the, the different design of engine within the McLaren design. But I would imagine that the big teams like McLaren and Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull and so on would be producing new cars around their existing chassis anyway so um i don't know but i would imagine that that deal should be able to go ahead 
you know, we talk about the big companies, as you've just said, you know, Mercedes, Red Bull. There's no threat that they will go out of um, business. They might decide not to do F1 anymore, but they won't go out of business. But if you look at some of the smaller teams, you look at, you know, a Williams, um, a Racing Point, this, those teams are limited with budget. Could a lack of racing this year just mean we won't see them again? That's it. Sadly, it's you'd have to say it's a possibility. And, and again, their businesses in... Uh, a world environment that is is very difficult for businesses generally. Formula One is just a, a small element of that. And where are their incomes coming from? Sponsorship pullouts potentially as well. TV money not coming in, circuit money not coming into the sport. So for the small teams, you'd have to have a small worry. And I think Williams have even highlighted that they are under a bit of pressure. And I don't, I don't actually think you can rule out the big manufacturers because it was the, the last, uh, you know, the global crash in 2008 that Honda, Toyota and all the others left. So there's nothing to say that Mercedes, OK, they won't go out of business, um, but will spending hundreds of millions of pounds a year on a Formula One program still be viable depending on what's happened in the next year or so? I, I don't know. I don't think you can discount those uh, teams from from not being around as well, especially someone like maybe Renault, who have a sort of slightly smaller budget. But Mercedes, they put so much in to Formula One that they might not be able to uh, afford that this time next year. Uh, if we look at any of the positives to come out of this, which are sometimes hard to see, I suppose um, ventilators, Andrew, is something that we can see as a as a positive yeah, it's an obvious thing that Formula One can help with. You know, these are high-tech engineering companies at the end of the day, and uh, they've basically banded together the teams to uh, to talk to government and health authorities to try and work out what they can do to help increase the capacity for ventilators in the country. Anyone who's seen those graphs in the newspapers that, that have been published in, around the world about, you know, uh, 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 critical care capacity will realise uh, how on edge that is at the moment. And uh, so any help that... Uh, that can be provided for that has got to be a good thing. And um, we're, we're expecting some news on the exact detail of how the Formula One teams will uh, f- um, uh, feed into that uh, in, the, in the, uh, the sort of early to middle part of next week. And esports, very quickly, everyone's loving esports. So F1 have now followed the bandwagon and they'll be doing uh, virtual racing alongside each of the cancelled or postponed races for, um, for the future, I suppose, for the time being. You loving a bit of esports, uh, Palmer and Nichols? I love it. I started my career doing uh, esports and stuff, so it's been really fun getting back into that. And it's the it's the dream team on uh, it's the dream team for the first race on Sunday. I'm not there. How Nichols and the Jake's. <laughs> Nichols and Nichols and Jake's. Nichols and Jake's. What a shunt, Palmer. Wow. Palmer nowhere to be seen. That is amazing. Um, there are there are different ones taking place, but Ian Poulter. Uh, the golf star is taking part in one of them as well, which I thought was pretty cool. That's that, that's the rubbish one. <laughs> Just because it's not your one, it doesn't it's, mean it's, it's rubbish. It's the one that I'm not doing, so that's the rubbish one. Um, oh, can I just interrupt just for a second? I've got an answer on McLaren. Yes. Uh, they will run Mercedes engines in 2021. That's been confirmed. Good stuff. Breaking news. You heard it here first. Andrew Benson couldn't let the whole programme go without going and uh, looking at his phone and giving us an update at least once. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, my thanks to Jack, Jolian and Andrew as well. Um, it does look like Jack Nichols is sitting in his garden shed. It's a very plush garden shed. But uh, on your way, as you were, it's been fun seeing you. We're not going to be able to go and congregate anywhere for the foreseeable future. So take care of yourselves, gentlemen. Yeah, shame. 
<laughs> you could sound a little bit more genuine. <laughs> Well, that's it from us. Who knows when we'll be back. But if there are any further developments, we'll certainly bring them to you. Andrew will, of course, keep you updated on the BBC Sport website. This has been an IMG production for BBC Radio 5 Live. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.